Drum roll, please. We are we are pregnant, and we are pretty pregnant. Um, we are twenty seven weeks. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Well, let's just jump in then. So the wifey is here. Hi, wifey. Hi. I think I have a name on your podcast, but I actually can't remember it. Uh, the pod mother. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The pod mother. The pod mother is here because she's the one who brought this thing into being after nine months of nagging and yelling at me yeah. and telling me. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was harder than actual childbirth. <laughs> Hey, now, come on, come on. Uh, so we thought it would be fun. Um, we've been living overseas in the Middle East now for one year. We got here um, in country a year ago on like the, what, like the 15th, 14th, something like that. And then we got to our village like in our I home think it was like the seventh or eighth or ninth or something oh maybe i, I can't remember it was like the beginning of december i can't yeah, remember I can. it's all a blur anyway when we got to our village where we are now in our house december uh, 27th december 27th so it's new year's eve right now at uh 10 30 at night where we are so four days ago and so we've been here i mean literally exactly a year and we thought it would be fun to um recap more, I, I think more than just like recap and tell you what we did, reflect a little bit on what it was like, what we did and how we processed some of that, some of our experiences. Maybe we'll tell a couple funny stories on here because people always want kind of those fun cultural stories. And, um, but, and so we thought it would be fun. You know, we have family and friends uh, really all over the world now at this point from, you know, that live on at least three or four continents. And, um, you know, people listen to this from all over the place as well. And so we thought it'd be fun to kind of recap and share about uh, what it's been like to, to live and work overseas in the Middle East in a small village for the last year and what we've learned and went through and all that kind of stuff. So that's what this is going to be. And so this is a little bit of kind of get to know us podcast a little bit uh, more than more than anything else. So where uh, I'll, I'll just throw it to you uh, since you're the pod mother, where, where do you want to start? Why, do you, um, why don't we start, a, you know, obviously towards the beginning, if you want to talk about getting ready or what that was process was like, or actually getting on the airplane or whatever, I'll, I'll let you pick where we start. We didn't plan any of this, by the way. This is just, yeah. she threw something up on Instagram and people said this would be a fun conversation to listen to. And so we plugged in microphones, actually pulled up Zoom because we don't, I only have one microphone. So we're in separate rooms. She's on AirPods. I'm on the mic and uh, we're talking to each other over our, our Wi-Fi uh, here. So uh, we, we don't have any of this plan. So why don't you pick where we start? Sure. Um, so yeah, I really actually, when I asked, I originally asked Max to do a podcast and uh, talk about our year overseas because um, 
we're just so grateful for the friends and family that actually care about what we're going through and what life is like and um, definitely wonder how different it is and things. And I thought that this would be like a good um, platform to be able to do that and also um, share some things that are pretty exciting for us and pretty hard and pretty vulnerable. So I guess um, starting at the beginning would have to be in the vulnerable category. Um, so before we left America, um, we were 12 weeks pregnant and actually Max had just released. So maybe some of you know this, if you're like really on top of his, um, listening to his podcast the moment they come out, then you would know this. He announced that we were pregnant and that we were moving and all of these things. Um, and I was packing all of these bins meticulously of all of our stuff in four bins. And I was kind of waiting to listen to the baby's heartbeat. Um, I'm a midwife for those who don't know. Um, so I have all like my Doppler and everything that I need. And I was like, I was kind of waiting to do that over when we had arrived because by 12 weeks, 13 weeks, you for sure, for sure can hear the heartbeat. But the one night I just had this like desire to listen to the heartbeat. Um, so I dug into these bins and got this Doppler and I spent the next 30 minutes trying to find our baby's heartbeat. And um, I could not find it. And at the time, Max didn't understand um, the gravity of that. At 12 weeks, you can hear, I mean, surely you can't hear some, but um, most babies you can find with a Doppler at 12 weeks. So I was very worried, and this was about 11.30 at night. Um, Max, correct me if I'm wrong, was this two days before we were going to leave? Yeah, this was two days before we were getting on the airplane. Yeah. So the next day, I was scrambling to get into an ultrasound because I just, I, I had this feeling in my pit of my stomach that something was wrong. Yeah, you knew. And, you had um, kind of the mother's instinct. You yeah. Knew. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And um, yeah, so we got an ultrasound the next day and we had the worst news that I could imagine at that time. Um, yeah, we had lost our baby. Our baby had no heartbeat. Um, and so we ended up having to push back our date of moving uh, or yeah, getting on the airplane. I think we got it pushed back like three days. So I was able to thankfully pass the baby um, in America with being surrounded by family and friends, but it was still incredibly hard to, uh, I just had this like immense feeling of like, oh, this new season for our family and this new baby that we were walking, welcoming into that. Um, just so much um, excitement, obviously to be pregnant and um, it was pretty devastating actually. So then processing that and then processing this massive family move at the same time was very difficult. Um, hard to say goodbye, hard to, yeah, honestly, I don't even have words of what that's like to, if you, there's very few people who pack up everything they own and move to a different country and have no idea what's in front of them. And then to do that at the same time that you're grieving this loss um, was uh, definitely, definitely a hard thing. But yet we both, I think, had a ton of peace about still going when we're going because there was the question of like, do we push this back? But there was never like, um, at least in my mind, there was never like a no, we need to push this back and process it here. There no, was yeah. like, no, no, we need to still go. But it was just the simultaneously dealing with both of these things. And then I think also just being real honest, not even knowing what we were walking into um, of no what idea. this was going to be like. No um, idea. Like yeah. You, we prepare for it for how long have we been talking about moving overseas, but really 
Uh, okay, so for the people who don't know this, we are um, a pioneering location of the work that we are doing. So we are going pretty much solo. I mean, it is just our family. Yes, yeah, just our we family. We have a safety net of people to in the in country that are in different cities. Um, that if we need something, we can ask them. But there was no one close to ask or rely on for anything. So it was pretty much you're on your own, like totally on your own uh, feeling. Um, and so, yeah, we really had no idea what we were walking into at that time um, and the struggles that that would mean and just what that would mean in general. Um, but yeah, I guess that's how it started. You asked me, I think, how to go back yeah, to yeah. the beginning. Us getting on a plane was um, packing up our bags and walking through this kind of thing as a family and then also walking through like goodbyes and walking our kids through that. Um, yeah, it's definitely not easy, but there was also, I think for both of us, an immense feeling of peace and excitement in this, um, that this has finally come. Like we've been preparing our lives for this for, and preparing and feeling like the call of, of the Lord on our lives for so long. And so to have that moment where you have your, your ticket in your hand, your bags packed was quite surreal and exciting for sure. Yeah, it was wild. Um, and then we, you know, we got here and um jet lag was awful i don't know why the first time we ever came here jet lag was really not that bad and this time it was so so terrible for i think 11 12 13 days something like that just shy of two weeks and um we had when we first were kind of setting up our all of our moving details we were going to have um a good few weeks of some transitional housing. Uh, and right before we left, a bunch of that fell through. Um, and so we had, when we got actually to our area and had to look for our own place to live, we had a couple of days basically to find somewhere to live before we were not going to have anywhere to live. And we found out that right before we got on the plane, basically. And so we came out to the village and um, looked at what three houses? Yeah, three houses. Three houses. Um, I, I one would of be, which was falling apart, and one of which I don't even know. If it's really two and a half houses because one of them you could not call. Yeah. It was a house to a bunch of sheep and goats. We opened up the gate, yeah. and there was just like a flock of sheep and goats uh, grazing inside this person's yard, and it was like a half still standing concrete structure but the goats were really happy and the sheep were really happy and uh, <laughs> the yard was actually beautiful. But um, so it was like two and a half houses. And so we we found our house, you know, we don't speak any of the language at this point. We found our house and uh, we asked the person, well, when can we move in? And they said, well, you can move in anytime. There's nobody here. So I said, okay, well, we'll grab our stuff and we'll come back tomorrow. And so we went back uh, to where our, our stuff was packed up the little things that we had unpacked and, got some sleep and then moved out the next morning, came, came into our house the next day, pull up with all of our stuff. And there is, I don't even know how to describe the scene. There are like five women um, with hoses, like garden hoses inside of our house spraying. And it's just concrete spraying everything. I mean, everything floor walls like all the way up the wall spraying everything with 
tons of water and they have like these big floor squeegees and brooms and they're just sloshing water around everywhere inside with garden hoses. And we walk up at, to this happening, you know, and we're like, what in the world is going on here? Who are all these people? Why are, I mean, this is super nice because I think they're cleaning, but why do they have garden hoses in the house? Like this, this place is going to be soaking wet now. Like what is going on? And, uh, but we, that was the welcome that we got from all of the, our neighbors as they, uh, they were cleaning our house, getting it ready for us, they cooked food for us, uh, for these random Westerners that they did not know why in the world. I still don't know if most of them actually really understand why we're here uh, or why we decided to come here. I think it's still kind of confusing for most of them. Um, but that was just a kind of a, a wild sight to, to see garden hoses spraying down the inside of our, what was soon to be our concrete uh, structure of a house. And um, yeah, we moved in, we moved in, in the dead of winter, quickly found out that it gets much colder here than you would think. And especially inside the house, we had one little gas heater to heat our, basically our whole place. So we would just huddle around the gas heater, cook a pot of beans or rice on top of it, or warm up the leftovers from what our neighbors brought us. I, here's one thing that we can maybe actually talk about, reflect here for a moment. Um, I have learned and observed and witness, witnessed kind of unmerited, unwarranted favor. Favor is actually probably the wrong word kindness and generosity and hospitality in the last year, more than I have probably in my entire life. I don't think, I think someone cooked us a meal every day without exception for the first like two and a half months while we were here, like every day people were bringing us food. And some of that was probably them being really nice. Some of that was probably them feeling kind of sorry for us because we clearly did not know what we, what we were doing, but they brought us food. Our neighbors brought us food every day for over two months at some point during the day. And we, I mean, we, that's what we lived off of. I mean, they literally, their generosity sustained our family. And um just over the last year, that generosity and kindness has just continued time and time and time again in the, in the most crazy and bizarre and embarrassing ways for us. And it has not stopped their kindness at all in one, in one moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's completely true. Um, Backing up just a little bit here, um, why did we end up in this village? I think um, is just interesting because people, I, or even coming, I think sometimes people think like you need this like wild word from, from God, right? Like this really booming voice. And I like to say that we came here on a whisper. Like I, um, I mean, genuinely speaking the Lord, but what, and he has, in time, made it very clear to us. But also, given the timeline that Max just shared, we were kind of like, man, we don't have time to like search all over the country of where we're going. 
but like we do have these like little pebbles so to speak in front of us and this is where they're leading us um and so like if we're if we're not if we're missing it please make it clear lord but if not like we hear you pointing this way so it ended up being this like small small village um about 30 minutes from a, a bigger city um but yeah so we show up here at this house and um I mean, I don't know, maybe we can post a video of what it looks like when we moved in, but it's concrete, concrete yeah, floors, I'll, concrete I'll link, walls. I'll link in the, the show notes here, uh, maybe a link to like our Instagram and stuff. Maybe you can make a, uh, like a story or something like that on what yeah, we'll find what a way to do it. Like, yeah, we'll figure, we'll figure something out, but there'll be something in the description. Um, yeah. Um, but it, it was the reason that these first months were so difficult for us that Max is alluding to is a couple things and why our neighbor's generosity was incredible. Um, the heating was just so hard. Like I got scared to even FaceTime family because like you could see our breath inside our house. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I'm the worst mom. Like what is going on? My kids are living in this house that like it's so cold. Uh, you can see your breath. Um, and we didn't have a stove or a refrigerator or, uh, or the language to do very much, um, and, or anything to talk to anyone. Um, and so like, and, or at night, mercy. at night, our, we had to sleep cause we had no heater. Uh, and if we, I mean, if we ran our gas one all night, it would go out anyway. It wouldn't last all night. And it would burn them. our eyeballs. And it would burn our, yeah, be smelling gas fumes. All right. But we tried it for one night and we we're like, no, we can't do it. We're all going to contract some crazy like lung disease. Yeah. And um, so we had, we had the, they'd, we'd gotten these huge, thick kind of like wool fleece blankets. And we just stacked so many of them on top of each other to try and keep warm that it was too heavy for our kids to lift and get out of bed. So to get them in and out of bed, we had to go over there and like lift up all the covers and hold them up so they could climb in. And then if somebody had to get out to go to the bathroom, we'd have to get over, get out of bed and lift them up because even our, uh, our oldest who was five at the time, it was too heavy for her to lift up. It was like a 20 pound weighted blanket laying on top of them. And it, we'd all wake up and our joints would be sore from uh, all of the, the weight on our on our bodies do all night long, you know, your ankles and your hips would be sore and whatnot. Like but, moving into like a, and that's how it was for, the, for really the whole first winter. I mean, the first three months yeah. that we were here. Yeah. The first winter was a bit, a bit rough because at like pure chaos, because you have workers coming in and out, you have these neighbor people coming in and out. You have no one understands what you're saying. You don't understand what anyone is saying, but you need to get your house made. And at the same time, you're trying to adjust these like, amazing children that the Lord has given us um, to things that are so new to them. Like, for example, we live and uh, have a squatty potty in our house. And I'll never forget the first week. Um, the first week, I cannot even count how many times somebody Hell took their week. pants. Oh my gosh. Hell or week. screamed or cried on the toilet to our kids because they like were so scared and like didn't uh, peeing was fine but it was the pooping that we were really struggling with um and it was I remember just looking at my kids in the eyes holding them like encouraging them as they're squatting down trying to go to the bathroom being like you can do this I know you can do this and like just giving them these pep talks on the toilet 
Um, and then actually celebrating when everybody went to the bathroom on the toilet. It took us about eight days, I think. And I don't know if for those listeners that really know me, I am a kind of a health nut. And I was like, we are going down to the to the local market and buying a sugar-filled, probably junk-filled cake, because that's all I knew how to get here. And I couldn't make anything in my own kitchen and celebrating by eating this cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that is definitely what we did. But I had these moments of like, oh my gosh, this, I am the worst mom. What am I doing to my children? Um, but okay, it, it's okay. Our kids can go into the bathroom on the squatty potty now. It's no problem. Yeah, they figured <laughs> it out. This, yeah, they figured it out. Talking about like the chaos, it's hard to really explain and even help you understand um, as our listeners and as our friends and families um, the things that we were experiencing because it, it's really hard to articulate when you feel like you're totally out of control in your own home. Um, and have no ability to communicate with people that are coming into your home and trying to like build your house, make your house. And um, at the same time, trying to like walk your kids through this like really intense um, change in their life, obviously. And obviously me and Max walking through this intense change in our life. Um, So so many things going on during that season for sure. Yeah. Out of control is, is definitely the, the way to put it. Um, okay, we have to tell the story because you brought up the bathroom and we just have to- No, no, it. no. We can just tell people to go to Instagram because otherwise this is going to get way too long. All right, is it on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a live on it. Okay, all right. So go, how do you do that? I don't, I'm not on Instagram, so I don't even know how to work it. So it's on descri- a story highlight for cultural, like cultural okay. something. It's, it's on my page, her page, honey. Okay, so trust, just <clears throat> listen to me trust me that you want to go like yeah, check it out it's hilarious them. it's it's for sure. it's maybe the highlight of our time here so far uh as far as culturally embarrassing moments um but yeah so what would you say out of control is definitely the way to put to put that first probably four to five months i don't think i would say all the way to five months because we had started language end of February, March. And I feel like when language had started, I felt like we hit like more of a rhythm. Um, but I our home was basically made, everyone well, was still for sure adjusting, but I would say I felt like legitimately out of control, like out of control, um, January and February. Okay. So I would maybe say it lasted for me quite a bit longer than a feeling, feeling, I mean, it, yeah, it got better as time went on into April and May for sure. Um, but for, at least for me, the first January, February and March inwardly, I felt like I was completely out of control as far as what is going on in my life in this house. I have no idea. Um, what do you think, what do you think we did? Well, what do you think we did not do well in that time? I'm curious to get your answer. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, make think for a moment <clears throat> I think I mean it was so hard to know what we were going into I think that's one thing that's tough um I don't think either of us even had a clue I mean we didn't have a clue <clears throat> I remember being in a worship um service before we left just crying back at our home church in Minnesota and just feeling like I literally have no idea what I'm going to step off into in um, when we land in this country. 
and just feeling like, oh my gosh, I literally, yeah, I just have no idea. Because for those of you that don't know, we tried to do a scouting trip um, in 2020 and then COVID hit. So it ended up being like three days, maybe. Um, so it didn't really happen, but we still felt like, yes, this is where we're to go. Um, so yeah. So what did we do? I mean, it was hard to prepare for. So we kind of just had to take it as it came. Right. So I think that something maybe we did well in that season. I think I've always, I thought we were gentle with our kids trying to help them through the process. I thought we did that well. Did you think we did that well? No, that was actually going to say the exact opposite. Sorry, I should have said that when you were taking a drink of water. No, actually, I would say that that's the thing that I look back and I regret the most is I feel like I was too difficult on my children during that time. And I didn't. I do have one memory of you being incredibly difficult. Yeah. um, Only one. All right. Yeah. Um, That would probably be what I would say is I would think I was, I forgot that my kids were what one, three and five at the time. And that, you know, they don't have the same ways to, to um, express the stress and deal with the stress that I do. And I was probably too difficult uh, on them just because I was stressed, you know? And so, no, I was going to say the exact opposite that that's actually, I think the thing that one of the things that we, we did, uh, we did not do well. I think one thing that we did very well is, um, and something I'm, I'm proud of is we really, really leaned into, uh, re- relying on, on locals and it cost yeah, us. Yeah. Okay. I would for sure agree with that. Cause there's, there's, um, a few other Western families in our, in our town and mm-hmm. we didn't lean on them for anything, um, at all. Um, we maybe even probably should have a little bit more just for our own sanity sake, but we, we really went yeah. into the, Hey, we want to, we want to rely on the locals. And so it cost us tons of time and energy and money and stress and things not turning out exactly how we wanted them to turn out because how we expect certain things to get done is not how they expect certain things to get done and so on and so forth. Um, but we really did it. And some of the relationships that we have, I think now a year in are because we were, we were willing to just rely on the, the locals around us and um, open our hearts to them and allow them to, to help us and to kind of live with the consequences, even when it was stressful and difficult and kind of crazy and a mess. And yeah, all that stuff. like when my neighbors unpacked every single item in my suitcase one day, the day we got here and I had no idea where everything that I had. Yes, you had spent weeks, literally weeks packing up in our entire life, meticulously had a list of where everything yeah. was in what order, where they were going to go, everything. And then we get there, put things down and all the women just start grabbing stuff. And so our underwear is mixed in with like the kids toys and our, yeah. you know, clothes are all mixed and matched and there's kitchen stuff in the bathroom. Cause they don't know what it is. Can, you know, yep. and because they don't have that here and whatever. And it's just like, okay, well, all that work went out the window, but you know, don't say anything, let them, let them just do it. And mm-hmm. we'll figure it out when we close the door at night. And, and uh, you know, I remember looking at you and being like, 
Max, the good news is everything in our house is unpacked. <laughs> the bad news is I have no idea where anything is. <laughs> where and I can't is. tell you even where, like, what you want to wear to bed is. Yeah. Oh, I vividly remember that. But going yeah. back, I feel like I need to rephrase my answer to that question. I completely agree with you with what we did well. Um, I, it, actually, going back, I would do it exactly the same for um, many reasons, but one of them being my absolute dearest friend here is the woman who taught me, I don't know why, but I mean, I, I know why, but like taught me how to fold as if I didn't know how to fold, but I needed to fold these the, the way that they fold and do my dishes the way that they do their dishes and do the laundry the way that they do their laundry. And like, we just spent all this time mostly in charades communicating with each other. Um, and now she's like my dearest friend here and genuinely mean that. And I know that um, that's such a gift because so many friendships that I have cross-culturally are like, haha, this is funny. Like you're so different or like, it's just a different sort of friendship. Whereas this friendship is like genuinely at the level of like some of my friends in America. Like I could go to her and talk to her about things um, to the best of my ability with language. Um, and uh yeah. share our heart with each other and just yeah we've had really precious moments together because and I think that started with what you said of what we did well leaning on them and I think what we didn't do well and to be honest it, I didn't really say this because um, I don't know how we could have done it different in the situation we were given but I don't think we had boundaries well at all um, with yeah I don't know how we would have done that any different I don't know how we would have done it different, but there was no boundaries of like when kids came in and out of our house. Um, Cause there was workers like just always here or people, things, neighbors. Yeah. Or just I, people. I don't know. It was or just, just people. Chaos. Yeah. yeah. So I felt like we had no boundaries. None. We had no Sabbath. Um, Sabbath in our family was not established again until like summer. I can't even remember or fall or something. We didn't have any, um, no, no. Yeah. There was no families like specific, like, Hey, we're going to spend time just as a family. Um, and I mean, I don't remember when we started Thomas time one-on-one, -on -one, which we call Thomas time. It's like one-on-one -on -one time with our children. Um, but I think it was sometime around when we had arrived. Um, and that was one of the things that I was talking about when I think we did well was having that. Um, yeah. With the kids. Yeah. Yeah, for the kids, but I think boundaries was, if I could say one thing that we didn't do well, it was, and I, that's why I said I wasn't sure to say it because I genuinely don't know how we don't could have done it differently. It. Yeah. Um, but I really, really think that there should have been a way that, that we could have done it differently or something because sure. it definitely was definitely, definitely, definitely needed. Yeah. I, let's switch gears here for a second. And talk about kind of some spiritual dynamics. Um, what has it been like for you? I'll just let you start here again, since you're the, you're the pod mother. What has spiritual life been like for you now a year in? Um, whether you, you want to talk about that personally or as a family, however you want to talk about that. Um, yeah, there's so many different ways to take that question. Um, I think this year, more than any other year in my walk, I feel more connected to the global capital letter church. Um, maybe because we don't have like a local, local one. I'm not really sure why, but I, I just feel 
also people coming into a culture that's so communal and having certain texts come alive to me um, and understanding so much, uh, just a deeper understanding of um, the community and the family of the church um, has been really amazing to feel a part of something so much bigger than like, I belong to this church. This is my home church. But um, that has been something really unique this year that I feel so grateful for that I have. I just feel connected to this rich, rich history of men and women before me. And yeah, I just, that's been a unique experience. And I think it has a lot to do with where we live and what life is like here. Um, but I've really enjoyed having my um, eyes open to that. Yeah. And we've tried this last year, a number of, um, a number of kind of traditional practices. Um, like personally, when we first moved here, I had just r- literally right before we moved here, I bought a book of common prayer. Since then I've bought an actually an Eastern Orthodox book of prayer uh, and had it shipped over here. And we did Advent. We celebrated Advent together as a family that we observed every night at candles. We got together every single night and uh, did something with our kids going through Advent. Uh, we're doing stuff for Epiphany now um, and observing all of those kind of major uh, liturgical uh, calendar uh, events and seasons um, in the church. And yeah, I would agree. I would agree that to me, spiritually, that is the thing that sticks out to me is the the feeling of yeah you said it actually I think kind of perfectly the feeling of connection to the the Catholic Church the capital C Catholic Church of all time all place all people uh, has been um, really really powerful in this last year for me and for I think for for both of us and for our family. And we've leaned really hard into, and, and I'll, and I mean, I am so thankful for those traditions. I'm so thankful for the things like the church calendar, the book of books of prayer, because if we didn't have those things and we were trying to be out here, we would have, I mean, very little to lean on because we don't have a, a local assembly here because we are purposely living somewhere where there is not a local assembly. And so what do we, you know, what do we do and being able to have traditions that have been passed down, created and passed down by the church, uh, from various generations going back, you know, hundreds and thousands of years has been, I mean, honestly, a lifesaver for our faith to continue to feel, uh, like we are connected to the body, belong to the body. And, you know, I think in this coming year, we've been having conversations of like, how do we lean farther into some of those traditions? How do we lean farther into some of those practices? Like what can we do to even um, go deeper and be more intentional with how we use some of those things? Um, and I, yeah, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. That's to me, the, as far as positives go spiritually, I mean, there's things that obviously that have been difficult as well, but as far as positives, like that is the, to me, the great positive um, for our, for me personally and for our families is that is that feeling and that um, that sense of connection to the, to the global historic 
uh, Catholic church. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. What's been hard. What's been hardest for you spiritually? Mm, Probably the lack, the lack of gathering weekly um, has been really, really hard. Um, We have Max said brothers and sisters here, but the cultural differences are quite immense. And there's no real um, understanding, even though we've taught and talked and uh, they agreed upon the importance of it. But it's hard to um, bridge that gap between like, yep, you understand, but also there's just so many cultural barriers to meeting weekly, whether that be safety, whether that be randomly your neighbor will come visit you and you can't say, hey, I have to go to this, right? Yeah, Um, or that I'm busy. So, yeah, so um, there's just we had tried to start weekly, but it ended up being, I mean, really more like bi-weekly or monthly even. Um, so not having, not having a weekly gathering, um, I think has been really, really hard. I like genuinely like deeply miss um, gathering with people and worshiping and praying together. There's something just so beautiful in the communal gathering of the saints. And, um, I, I honestly don't think I appreciated it as much as I understand or have grown to appreciate it now. Um, not just because I miss the worship or the songs or things like that, but just how much I believe in like doing this with other people and in community and, um, the importance of gathering weekly. I, I think the lack of that has been the hardest thing. It's just, I really miss it. I miss um, just personally being vulnerable and honest, the discipline of like studying the word has been very difficult this year, just with so much happening. Yeah, um, for sure. And I miss like having, doing that in a community where like you then talk about it and um, you're reading the same things and um, discussing and going deep in that. Um, for, well, so, so for many, many reasons, I miss the gathering. Yeah. To me, this year has been a one year like proof or proving, I don't know how you would want to say proving that Christianity was not meant to be done alone. And actually very little, if anything in Christianity was meant to be done alone. And so much of the way though, that we talk about Christianity in the West is, is so hyper-personal. It is so hyper-individual. It is so hyper, you know, take something like reading, reading the Bible, like you just said, Hey, I, this year has been really hard for me to sit down and read the scriptures because I have to just do it by myself. There's no one here to, to do it with. And I think I would agree with you that has been hard, but one of the things I've taken away from that is I don't think we're meant to just sit down by ourselves and read like that's, that's not how it was meant to be is we were supposed to be always reading together, always reading in community, always reading as part of the, the church. Same thing with prayer, same thing with fasting, same thing. They just name a spiritual discipline or spiritual activity. And I don't think it was really meant to be done all by yourself all of the time. Like that's, I mean, yes, you do it individually, but it's that individual act was never meant to be done in isolation with other people like ever. And so now coming to a place where most of your spiritual activity is done in isolation from other people. I think it's hard. It's been hard simply for the fact that it points to the, 
the reality that this is not how it is meant right. to be. And, and right. for me, the, the hardest thing spiritually is, is, is related to that, but it's, it's staring the prospect of um, my kids not growing up in a local church, staring that in the face has been the hardest thing. I, you know, I never imagined a world or a life in which my kids would probably spend the majority of their childhood not in the rhythm of local church life. And that is, we are staring that just square in the face. Um, anything else or anything else that you want to, to hit? Yeah. I mean, I think that people, sorry guys, this is really long five cast. I don't even know how many minutes are on. Um, but, Four, 45. Okay. I think um, doing that math, right. I'm doing that math off the clock at the top of my head, something like that. But yeah, I think there's actually a few more things I'd love to hit. Um, I'd love to share about what life is like um, as far as like our daily rhythms of where are we giving our time to um, now that we've settled and gotten over the major hump. I think we talked extensively about that, about like chaos that we first got and what life settled. I mean, for me, it settled earlier, it sounds like, than it did for you. But eventually we did hit a rhythm and hit a groove. Um, and honestly, coming here, I think both of us just really open-handed. Like we have these skills that um, we believe the Lord has given us, but really unsure of how we were going to use them and still are in some ways. But also I think in the last year have gained immense clarity and even vision um, for what is to come for this area and how we might be used by, by the Lord. Um, so I'd love to talk about that a little bit and yeah, I don't know if you want to start or if you want me to. Um, yeah, no, I can start. That's fine. So, I mean, right now our main uh, job, I guess if you want to call it that, but the, the bulk of our time is given to language learning. So one of the core values that we have, our organization has, is uh, we want to be um, part of the community, part of the people, part of the culture. And we want to, um, there's this term that gets kind of thrown around in our circles that you you marry the land or you marry the people, meaning you just connect yourself to them at the deepest possible level. And you can't really do that, I don't think anyway, to its fullest extent without language, because culture and language are so intimately tied together that if you don't, if you're not able to share in someone's language, you're, you're just limited in the culture and the social depth that you can go with people. And so we have a private language tutor that comes to our house a couple of days a week. And we have each time he comes, we have four hours of, uh, of class. And that's been, you know, we're coming up a year. We're like 11 months in now. We had to take a small break because we had COVID and then we had some other stuff going on. But calendar wise, we started last February or February. And so we're coming up on a year of language. And, um, you know, we're trying to learn this small minority dialect um, and is completely oral. There's no written script. So there's no resources anywhere. And even in our village, there's, I don't know, four or five different dialects spoken in our village. 
some of them very, very close, some of them not as close. I mean, enough, they're all different enough that you notice it immediately when you're talking to somebody. Um, and then you go to the major cities around us and those are also different. And so the language here is like just very, very complex, very complex. And um, languages, I have not felt this dumb since I was a little kid, probably. I, I mean, it's been, you know, um, I remember when we were trying to learn the alphabet. So there's one of the major branches of our language, not the dialect we're trying to learn, but one of the major branches does have a script. And so we were like, oh, let's try and learn it so we can, at least when we go to a restaurant in the big city, we can read the menu and read the road signs and all that kind of stuff. And Steph was just getting it a lot quicker than I was and a lot quicker. She's smiling right now because she knows it's true. To the point that our language tutor, God bless his heart, he's the nicest guy. Honestly, he's become, I mean, one of my probably one or two closest guy friends here. And just because we've spent more time with him than, than anybody. And, um, but he, I think unintentionally kind of just started ignoring me because I was just really struggling. And so he would ask a question and then only look at Steph for the answer. He'd be like, okay, what letter is this? And draw it. And then he wouldn't look at both of us. He would just turn and shift his, his body and attention towards Steph and, uh, and, and ask Steph. And then they would start a whole conversation. And I would just be like sitting there, uh, like completely like a lost, like a lost little puppy. I, I remember one, one time we had to write out all the letters in the alphabet. And so Steph just blazed through it, got hers all done. Yep. Perfect. Holds up her little whiteboard, you know, literally like we're in kindergarten again, we're holding up our little whiteboard for the teacher to give the thumbs, thumbs up and a little gold sticker or whatever. And he's like, yeah, you did it. Great job. So then, and I'm still just struggling away like halfway through. And so he just starts giving her words to spell, but can you spell the word cat? Can you spell, you know, these little three letter words. And so she's then spelling words and writing whole words and then holding them up. And I have this vivid memory. I sat there with my board of my alphabet, my little whiteboard, like facing towards him for a good 30 to 40 seconds, probably. And he did not even realize it because he had completely just forgot, forgotten about me, like just completely forgotten that I was there and was just in this conversation with Steph about her spelling words. And it just like crushed me. And so I literally put it down and I said, I need to go to the bathroom. Did not have to go to the bathroom. I just thought I was going to cry because I did not, I have never felt that dumb. And so I just lied. I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I just went and went into our bathroom and stood there like a 16 year old girl at prom whose date just walked out or something like that, thinking that I was going to thinking I was just going to like lose, completely lose it. And um, so, but Praise the Lord. We're, we're, I mean, we still feel dumb at least 10 times a day with language, but we can speak, we can speak it now, uh, you know, enough. Um, but so we do language, you know, three to five days a week, um, you know, most, most weeks. And so that's a good, a good bulk of our time. And it'll be that way for probably about the next year or so. Yeah. They tell us they people who have for us and know how to advise people in our situation have said to shoot for like 25 to 30 hours a week um we don't land on that for sure every week definitely not but we definitely try to be in the 20 some hours a week 
whether that's in class studying or interactions with people. So that's what definitely, like Max said, the bulk of our time. Um, we also have three little kids, as you all know, and um, homeschooling is a part of our lives. Um, let's see, I, I um, am a midwife and yeah, you guys, I mentioned that already, but so with that skill, um, in September, it, the opportunity kind of presented itself where I started a clinic inside the camp that we live next to. We live right outside of a refugee camp. And um, yeah, I, I work there once a week and I see pregnant um, women, prenatal patients um, that couldn't afford care other anywhere else. Um, the public hospital is literally the most, oh gosh, I don't, I truly don't even have words for the things that I've witnessed there. Um, I've been a part of a lot of births in my training and in my um, nursing experience. And in, yeah, I've been a part of quite a few births. And I've just never, ever, ever imagined to see some of the things that I've witnessed um, in the public hospital. And so my, my desire to just care for these moms and give them a good experience prenatally has been yeah, it's definitely grown and helped me get more of a vision for what maybe is to come for the future in the camp. I really dream of a day where they can have a, we can have a birth center in the camp and um, natural birth can be restored and dignity can be restored to the women. Um, yeah, so that has been just such a blessing to be able to, to be able to care for the women. Like I said, starting in September, I started that um, just one day a week. And I really, really love it. I missed it a lot. So that's been really special for me. I think backtracking just a little bit here, um, I shared that we miscarried in um, December. And then in February, we got some exciting news that we were expecting again. And for the, I don't have a history. We've had three healthy babies. So I didn't, I didn't anticipate anything other than a great healthy pregnancy, um, even though we had that one miscarriage. But unfortunately, a few weeks after we found out that we were pregnant, I did end up miscarrying a second time. And that was in the time that was life was very chaotic and crazy, like we talked about. That was in March. And so maybe Max can talk about this, this just like a brief moment, um, our experience of trying to get I just wanted my HCGs for people who don't know what that is. I just wanted to see my levels because I'd started to bleed to see if I was carrying a viable pregnancy or non-viable pregnancy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah, I think Max was ready to punch the ultrasound guy. And, yeah, almost punched yeah. the doctor. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we were 99% sure that we were miscarrying a second time. And so we went to a local clinic here and um, but was not far enough along that you could do a normal ultrasound. And so you either needed to get, you know, blood work done or um, a, a different kind of ultrasound. I don't know the, well, how I'll so normally it. like he means like uh, the, we weren't far enough in pregnancy to do an abdominal ultrasound. We would need a vaginal ultrasound. To see there you go. Okay. The baby. Um, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so, we go there and tell the doctor this and he goes, no, 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 no. And he speaks, 
English. And no, 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 no. I'll be able to find it. I'll be able to find it. Like, no, no, that's not how this works. We're only, you know, what were we, six and a half weeks? Yeah, something like that. Six and a half, seven, something. Six and a half, seven weeks. We're like super early. Like, no, 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 we're only six and a half, seven weeks. We know exactly how far along. Like, it's literally impossible for you to find a heartbeat on a regular abdominal ultrasound at this this juncture. Like, this, what, can you do something else? Like, no, 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 I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. So, of course, he doesn't find it. So then he tells Steph, here, drink this water uh, and come back in like a half an hour. So he gives her a big bottle of water. He's trying to basically bloat her bladder to push her uterus up so that she, that he can, you know, get a better, better look at it and try and try and get the heartbeat. And so we had to do this like three times with him. And so she is like literally just chugging liters of water and we're walking around just having to wait for him to tell us to come back in, knowing that it is not going to work. And after I think the third time he can't find anything, he goes, well, just, you know, and we've been telling him the whole time, we, this is what's happening, whatever. And again, he speaks English, so there's no language barrier here. He says, just stone faced. He goes, well, either you're not far, not far enough along that I can't find it, or there's nothing there and the, and you lost the baby and just like straight matter of fact. And I thought I was going to punch him. I was so angry. I've never been, I've never been that angry with a medical person in my entire life. And, uh, and so it, yeah, it was just a terrible, but that, that kind of, uh, carelessness, that kind of like kind of nonsensicalness. And then that kind of coldness is, the norm that everybody gets. And, and the average person here has zero. And when I mean zero, think about whatever you think zero means, go lower than that. Zero basic common sense awareness of their own body and medical knowledge. The, it is just not part of the, like what you, what we think is just pure common knowledge about what your body does or what's normal or not normal. It is like, it is not common sense, uh, like inerrant. Like we've just, the amount that we've actually just learned and picked up from things that we just take for granted is common sense. And so most people walk into these doctor's offices here and they have no idea about anything, 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 anything of what is happening to their body, what would be normal, what would not be normal. And so they just get tossed around like rag dolls um, a lot of the times. And it's just, I mean, it, it, it gets into, you know, abusive range in, in many cases. Mm -hmm. It's just terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so for the people wondering, why did we go through that? It was just because I wanted my HCG levels and I had to like go through the proper doors to get to the lab to like get my HCG levels. So that's why we didn't just walk out of the ultrasound. But anyway, <clears throat> we ended up miscarrying in March. So that was, again, just a huge huge blow um for us to be processing again at the same time um but also just like one of our first that i can remember experience being like whoa this is like care here and then it got around that i was a midwife and people would show up to my house and want me to like assist them in the hospital and be a doula for them so then i started um going to the hospital and seeing things and it, it was just mind-blowing at how um, how there's just no, no 
dignity given to women at all. And I mean, I'm saying like they'd be like making noise and they'd be getting slapped and told to stop and um, just horrific things. And they'd be screaming and like workers will be pushing on their belly. It's just really hard because it's a really broken system. So a lot, a lot of their practice here is not actually best practice. It's actually really terrifying and harmful practices. Um, but like Max said, um, people here don't know their bodies well and don't know anything different. And so it's just, it's what it is. I have many of stories that I could tell. I mean, I've delivered my first full-term stillbirth here um, because of a doctor's error. Um, the mom then came to me about a week later and asked me to do that delivery um, for her. So I did. And I mean, it was just so heartbreaking because it was a clear a clear doctor mistake and there's no accountability there's no follow-up there's no anything because this is just I mean in their minds just a refugee woman um so it's just really immensely heartbreaking and the community that we live by and are serving they're probably tr they are treated the worst because they're the minority people within this region and so when they show up I did another person's birth recently at our house and um her prior experience was actually again her baby had died at like around 30 weeks and she went and had to deliver at the local hospital which is the free public hospital and which is what I'm sharing all these stories from that I was just explaining and um she was ridiculed made fun of um yeah said, called horrible names um just because she was part of this people group and um, women are shamed immensely if their baby uh, dies. And so it's just a really, really harsh, hard culture and environment for women to be in with. And I don't know if we want to talk about that, but just being a woman here is very intense. But then, um, yeah, specifically in birth and in labor and everything, it's, it's really something else. So I started that in September and I do care for pregnant mamas and occasionally when, when the opportunity arises and the right patient comes up and the door opens, I offer to deliver them in our house. And so we've done a few of those, um, which has been really special. I loved it. I loved it so much. And it's amazing the women have this. It's just such an opportunity to share so much more than midwifery. Um, because they've never received care like that. And it's just really unique and special. And I, I genuinely love it. My moving forward into January, I'm starting to see it. So right now I only do one day a week prenatally. And I, my vision and dream and goal and heart really desire is to raise up local um, midwives and nurses to be able to, to care for their own people, um, their own locals, um, and not have it be run by Westerners but have it run by um, locals because that would last far longer than when we lived here. Um, so I've kind of started, I'm starting that. I've hired two local nurses and I'm going to train them in postpartum care so that the women that I deliver prenatally will receive postpartum care in their tent. Um, so one morning a week, I will also start doing that. And then as Max alluded to, um, and to actually outright said that no one really knows what they're doing, no one's what, what is happening to their bodies. This is completely true in childbirth as well. Things that we like, like even guys know in America. Um, unfortunately, women here just are not told and don't know. And prenatal appointments, if you go 
to a prenatal appointment here, it might be five minutes and there's no education and there's no anything. Um, and so women really genuinely don't know what is happening to their bodies. Um, so I've started a birth class that's run by locals um, once a week in the camp. So women will come and um, hear about what their body is doing before labor, during labor and after labor um, and what to expect and all of those things. Um, so that's been really great. We've gotten such positive feedback. We just, I just started that in December and um, yeah, I've, it's been a lot of, a lot of fun to see women just be so excited to learn about their body. Um, and yeah, this is all like kind of talking about this first year. I think the greatest thing that I can take away as far as midwifery goes is I feel like I have more vision for what's to come or at least language around more of seeing the need and seeing like how we could really meet that need um, by raising up locals and, um, and really giving women a place where they can come and birth their babies with good solid care that is uh, evidence-based. So that's kind of my midwifery side of things. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what you're dreaming about, Max, or what we're dreaming about together, but would be kind of more of your side. Yeah. I, um, so one of the things that we are um, just trying to figure out how we get involved in is uh, I had mentioned earlier that the language that we are learning is completely oral. There's nothing written. Uh, and that includes uh, no translation of the scriptures. And so um, we've been in some discussions with some other companies, some other organizations about um, possibly starting a, a translation work. There is a pilot project that has just started uh, here this year that's trying to go through some of the um, key, just a couple of the key stories and do kind of a pilot translation. And so we'll see kind of how that goes. They hope to finish that next summer. And then after, depending on how that goes and how that's received and um, all the details of it, of kind of how, how everything moves forward. And so we've been in, in discussions with them about how do we help? How do we get involved? Where can we be involved with that? And so we'll see kind of where that goes. But um, so that is something that is on, on our radar as well. And um and then, you know, being able to kind of leverage that and bring that into leadership training uh, for uh, local brothers and sisters uh, to be able to, you know, strengthen uh, the future future body of Christ here, to be able to strengthen the, the leaders who, the, the people who'd be leading that kind of movement here, the locals. And so um, those are all really kind of preliminary right now in the very beginning stages, but it's something that has been kind of brewing on my heart for about six months now, and that I've been hopping on Zoom calls with organizations all over the world, trying to figure out how does this work? How, how could we do this? And then um, I got connected actually with an organization in the big city, one of the big cities here, who uh, unbeknownst to me had started just had just started this pilot project. And so uh, I've had a couple of meetings with them. And um, so we're, we're talking about, hey, what is that? What does a partnership look like in the future around uh, doing some kind of translation work? And so that's something, you know, as the, we're not, you know, in the, the near future looking at starting just because they, they got to get through this, this pilot first year through the, the next summer. Uh, but after that, we'll be, I think, really 
considering and talking and praying into what does our role look like in a in a much larger attempt to actually bring an oral translation of the scriptures into into this language because they you know they don't have anything right now and so um which is really exciting for me super exciting to be able to to the, even just the prospect of being able to be involved in something like that um you know sign me up seven days a week that's incredible so yeah um some other exciting things um with our with our team that's currently just our family <laughs> is that we might be getting a new teammate this um summer we had her we have somebody come out that is interested in joining us and she um spent some time with us and really loved it and felt like yep this is where i want to come and plant myself and give myself to so hopefully she will be joining us sometime in 2022 um and uh, most likely her and another person um because there's a lot of details to be figured out with with being a single a single person here um so yeah that's really exciting as well um i'm trying to think if there's anything else that we would like to add no, I think, I mean, as far as the future stuff or whatever goes, that would be, that would be about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right now, for sure. yeah, right now it's, you know, a lot of language and you've started mm -hmm. your medical stuff in kind of a small way to, to start mm -hmm. getting your feet wet and get some experience around that and build relationships. And then, um, you know, the translation stuff is kind of really at the, the Genesis stages and having conversations and meeting and praying and, uh, yeah. trying to organize and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. No, I do think that people are probably curious and want to hear about our kids and how they've transitioned this year. So, um, I'll be the interview this time. Okay. All right. I'm asking you, Matt. She's taking control. What, no. What, um, what do you think has gone well for our kids or if we had, if they were awake and not asleep, maybe what would they, well, if in their ways, what would they say as they like about living here or don't like about living here? Um, they probably love the fact that everybody offers them candy nonstop. And uh, every time they go out anywhere and people see little cute Western kids, they try and give them candy. They probably love that. Um, they probably love the fact that we, um, you know, that we're around every day you know, we're doing language and stuff. And so during that time, we have a nanny come in a local, uh, local who nannies while we're in language class, but we're around, uh, you know, a lot of the day and, you know, because of the time change, most of the zoom meetings and stuff like that I'm doing are late at night after everybody's asleep. And, um, any work that I'm doing is usually late night, uh, after, after everybody's asleep. And then you're, you know, you're going to to clinic and stuff like that one day a week. But so they, I mean, they probably love that we, we do, we get lots of time, uh, with our kids, um, you know, and, you know, sometimes obviously we have stuff going on and we're busy and all that kind of jazz, but you know, we're not, we're not gone like physically out of the house for 10 hours of the, you know, 10 hours a day, five days a week. And so they probably, probably love that. And, um, I think they, you know, one thing that's been interesting for, to see them struggle with is, is their own struggle with the language. And in some ways they've done really, really, really well. Um, 
and in other ways because of some other cultural norms like uh it's very normal here for strangers to come up and try and pick up your kids or you know pinch their cheeks or give them a you know want to give them a hug or take their picture with them or whatever and so our kids still have not fully adjusted to that reality and um so in public and around people that they don't know they're more shy than they were those of you who have known our kids in the past you know that they're very outgoing typically um and they still are once you kind of get through that barrier with them but be, watching them kind of put guards up uh just because of some cultural differences that they don't know how to navigate and so they just kind of retreat back into close to mom and dad or close to a shell in, in a shell a little bit when somebody's some random person wants to take their picture, pinch their cheek, or, you know, tries to strike up a conversation with them as we're just trying to walk through the grocery store or something like that. I mean, we were just at the grocery store last night and our oldest daughter, some random person just walked up and pinched her cheek for no, you know, whatever. And that happens almost every time we go out. And so, um, it's, I mean, they've, they've had their struggles as well, but they've made friends. They're They're good friends with a bunch of we have a bunch of kids on our block. And so they have lots of friends that they get to play with, run around. They get to run around outside a whole bunch and climb and jump and all that kind of jazz. Um, but they've also, yeah, they've had to navigate different social boundaries, different cultural boundaries. Um, you know, one interesting cultural thing here is parents don't really interact with their kids very much. They don't play with their kids. They don't spend time with their kids, especially it's actually kind of frowned upon and almost shameful to like play with your kids once they're not like a baby, you know, like to do a puzzle with them or play a game with them or, you know, get on the floor and, and goof around. And so um, these kids come to our house and like, we have stuff for them to do. We have toys they can play with and we'll play with them and we let them get things out and whatever. And so these you know, neighborhood kids, they just, it's like an amusement park to them. And so, but for, you know, our three kids, like this is their stuff. Why are these, all these other kids always in here trying to like play with my stuff. And so that's been a hard thing for them to navigate at times. And um, so just lots of, lots of different social dynamics and cultural dynamics that they've had to navigate. And I think largely they've done a good job and largely they've, you know, been pretty been pretty up to the task and but not always and neither have we so i can't blame them for that you know like that's just part of being being a human you know they have their moments just like we have their moment we have our moments so yeah yeah i would agree with everything you said um it's definitely required a lot of them um moving and having all these kids that that want to um use all of their toys and just be in their space and not having the language to communicate exactly what they're feeling or what they're um, want to communicate to these, these kids. And also, I, like you mentioned, just cultural dynamics are just so different, whether it's candy all the time, which most of every person that kid on a block, their teeth are rotting out. Um, or, and like, why can't I eat the candy that everyone else is eating or um 
why can't I watch TikTok and have my own phone at five? <laughs> or um, how come these neighbor kids can't play with my toys and not break them? Um, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so I just think they've done a really great job navigating those things. And um, I, yeah, I, 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 I often find myself thinking about like, what would that be like to be Lakin and Kellis and Raymond and feel like, man, why do I always have to do this? Um, or share these things. So I've been really proud of them. Actually, I think even the other day we were talking about some toys that just gotten stolen. And I was like angry about it. I was like really upset that these like kids had stolen toys again. And we never get them back when they're stolen. And like the, our kids knew about it. And our kids just like kept acting or like went on as if their day, like they didn't miss a beat. And I was the one sitting there like, God, that little kid is not allowed over to our house. I'm like, oh my God, like thinking about all these things. And I was just realizing like, man, like I'm more upset about this than my own children are and their toys, not mine. And like, what is the gospel in this? And um, how can we share that with these neighbor kids? Um, just really reflecting on that. So I just think they've done like such a great job in a lot of ways. Um, they are really have adjusted incredibly well. Um, and yeah. I think, I think they've done a good job with what, with what they've been given this last year. All right. I think we need to wrap this up or it's going to turn into a Joe Rogan episode. Okay. But I do want to share, sorry, one more thing. After all the sadness of our miscarriages, we have some exciting news. Drum roll, please. We are pregnant. And we are pretty pregnant. Um, we are 27 what? weeks pregnant. You would not know it by looking at her. She, Our neighbors still are convinced that Stephanie, although she's a midwife and has her master's degree, does not know how to properly date her own pregnancy and that she's not actually 27 weeks there because she's not showing very much. And they are convinced yes, of it. Yes, I am. No, yes, no. I am. Um, uh, but yeah, so we are super excited. The kids are so so thrilled like it's fun to have older kids and be pregnant um just because they want to know everything they want to feel everything they want to name the baby <laughs> they want Kellis is my favorite he wants rex rex t-rex yep we're yeah. not having a baby boy we're having a dinosaur <laughs> um so it's been really fun and just super yeah great answer to prayer so uh yeah that's our exciting news that Seems like a good way to end. All right. Well, with that, that's been our year in review. And uh, what a wild ride. The first year we made it. We made it through winter with a little gas heater and summer when it was, it was not under a hundred. Stephanie's crying. I, I purposely did not bring up summer to, earlier because I didn't want her to start rambling about how hot it is but it it didn't rain i think for four and a half months and i don't think it was under like 105 for i think three and a half months like not a single day under 105 most days it, it was between 110 and 115 fahrenheit um yeah it was really really warm but i'm just gonna okay no, i have to say no. something with that why yes yes because uh first off i'm not gonna anyway Max, it was a freaking oven in our house 
we live in a brick house with no anything to cool it because we didn't buy any of the things with the local pad which was so dumb looking back and um I would be sweating having to wear appropriate clothing as a woman in this culture and you'd be there with your little short shorts <laughs> like oh we live in the short desert shorts. no problem and I'd be like swim literally, trunks like I just literally wear swim trunks what like I just like I just finished one of my college basketball workouts and you were just like, what did you think we live in a desert? And I was like, well, I didn't think we'd live in a brick onion oven. Those are a little different. But anyway. I was very sensitive. Situation. I literally told her one, di- one time, <laughs> she was like just miserable. And I looked at her and I said, what did you think would it would be like? We were moving to the Middle East in the middle of the desert. What did you think? I know, but it's, go I well just want to point out that our neighbors That's not the night we got pregnant. <laughs> I'll have a much better system and uh, we're already making plans for our next summer. So it's not nearly as miserable because I just want to be so clear at how much I sweated last summer doing nothing is nuts. But Max tolerates heat so much better and I tolerate cold so much better. So we have our seasons. Yeah. All right. Before Joe Rogan comes and steals the show. That's all I wanted to say. All right. All right. All right. Well, we, and we, we appreciate everybody uh, uh, who supports us prayerfully, financially, relationally, um, who was there for us during hard times, who's been there with us in some of the good times and uh, everybody who listens to this, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for caring about us and our family and our kids. And that really means the world to us. So uh, we will uh, see you guys next time. I don't know, Steph, we'll have to have Steph on again. And uh, people like when Steph comes on, they like her. I'm convinced that most people in life like her more than me. So we'll end there and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys later.